Get your gear ready. This is a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation. Welcome to a Sherpa's Guide to Innovation, a podcast dedicated to guiding you along your innovation expedition. For the witch supply, admit me, Ben Tingi, host to this episode. Who, prologue-like, your humble patience ask, gently to hear, kindly to judge, our podcast! That, my friends, is a slightly modified excerpt from Shakespeare's Henry V, which, as it turns out, contains a message of disruption in its story. But I won't recite the rest of the play, you'll have to read it for yourself. But now to business. It's my pleasure to welcome a few of our Sherpas and Summers Hogg, Will Behrman, and Jay Gerhardt once more into the breach, back again to talk disruption. Are we excited? Absolutely. (laughs) How you doing, Ben? How could we not be excited after the Shakespearean intro? (laughs) Always excited, although I was trying to figure out if that was from Harry Potter or what it was. (laughs) I was never that much into Shakespeare in high school. I never enjoyed reading it, so you could have just done Harry Potter and I wouldn't have known. I thought Uh, you went to high school with Shakespeare. I could get you excited with the St. Crispin's Day speech, but we'll, we'll do that later. Well, we've been looking forward to this episode for some time. For our listeners who haven't already, we would recommend that you listen to episodes 2 and 12 of our podcast in which we discuss the topic of disruptive innovation. Note the release dates of those episodes before you listen because you'll be amazed at how quickly the healthcare landscape has evolved uh, during the past year, though the disruptive innovation theory and analysis remains sound. As always, you can engage with us on Twitter using the hashtag InnovationEngine. And please consider providing a review and a five-star rating on iTunes if you've enjoyed the podcast. Shall we begin? Absolutely. Let's do it. We shall. All right. I'm going to start out with a deceptively simple question. Is disruption happening in healthcare? Will, why don't you kick us off? Well, Ben, that's a good question. You know, and just to ground everybody, want to... uh reiterate what we mean when we typically talk about disruption. It's not just being a pain in our rear. It's a specific business definition of disruption where a new company comes in either at the low end of the market with a, um, a product that is uh, cheaper and easier to use, or they're going after non-consumption. So those people who just are not currently engaged in a market. A good example of this is really when uh, Minute Clinic came into the market. A lot of people remember these clinics, and all of a sudden you could go to someplace a little more convenient, a little bit quicker, and with a standard pricing that was usually cheaper, and you could get things done that were good enough, right? So for a, again, for a sinus infection, I don't need a board-certified physician. I need somebody with a prescription pad. And that's what disruption did. So when we talk about is disruption happening in healthcare, there's a lot of people that are trying to take away traditional business from incumbent companies without question. But what we're truly starting to see from a in a significant way is disruption in the sense that we use it, the Clay Christensen sense of disruption. And it's not only happening at the primary care, at the lower end of the market, with things like Iora Health and One Medical and Sherpa and, and those folks who have really kind of formed their business model now through trial and error and pivots and are really ready to storm the market. Um, we see Iora popping up in a lot more markets now, and that's something that we we as incumbents should be concerned about. But we're also starting to see companies like Google who are going to start playing higher up in the market. And they're going to find a way, and they're looking at this as an information issue. 
and not necessarily just a traditional health care issue. And I think they're going to be onto something. And I think they're going to be onto something that's going to be very painful for us as incumbents if we don't try to understand, partner with, and, and, and really create and evolve the way that they're, they're trying to evolve the market. Yeah, a lot there that we can work off of. I'm, I'm glad you brought up CVS. I think I'll start there because they were kind of an early entrant in, in disruptive innovation. Yes. It, they were in Clay's book, The Innovator's Prescription. But I had started to get skeptical because many clinics have been out there a while. And while they did come into the market, they did address non-consumption. I don't see disruption as a singular event. You don't wake up in the morning and say, OK, I've been disrupted. It's a process, and they came in and they started the process of disruption. What I wasn't clear on is whether they would really take the path, and what that path is is you start by addressing uh, the low end of the market that an incumbent healthcare system may not be paying a lot of attention to. It may not be high-margin customers. That's exactly what CVS was addressing. So you would expect the next step to be that they increase their level of services and begin to kind of swim upstream, as we talked about in episode two. Exactly. We hadn't really been seeing that. But I think with regard to CVS, we're starting to see it now. They're about to consummate their merger with Aetna. And we've had some announcements recently from Larry Merlo, their CEO, on developing a health hub concept. Don't know exactly what that looks like, but it at a minimum involves more chronic disease management programs. So they're beginning to build their capabilities and get it deeper into what incumbent healthcare systems and provider groups do. They've also there's also been some speculation will they begin to build out more advanced urgent care services in their uh, stores. Some have speculated that the Amazon effect will have them reallocating store square footage to healthcare. That's very possible. They could add x-ray. So that begins, again, still in the primary and on-demand care arena, but beginning to take steps up the path of disruption. And I think Aetna's ability to influence the business model and have it make a lot more sense for CVS, where if it's related to the health plan, that's kind of aligning incentives within their major organization because they've they're vertically integrating now. Yeah, I agree with you on that too. I think one of the questions is what does upstream look like for somebody like uh, CVS? And as they start to move upstream, uh, you know, again, I think a traditional view of that would be bricks and mortar type services, imaging, surgery, inpatient care. But with their affiliation with an insurance company, upstream means managing more of the data around the patient which is chronic care management, really, at its, at its next level. And I think that's one thing that's also a little disruptive. Again, from an incumbent's perspective, we're used to seeing somebody come attack our brick-and-mortar strategy. And people who aren't doing that, we don't know how to evaluate in a meaningful way. I think another interesting thing that CVS is doing is their recent launch of CarePass that they're testing in Boston. So it's their strike back at... Amazon Prime or Amazon's partnership with PillPack. And that isn't necessarily disruptive, but it's a different stream that they're attacking, going upstream in a different way. And I think about Clay Christensen's statement that when disruptors enter the market and they attack incumbents' best customers, the incumbent will attack back and they will ultimately win. Whereas if the startup is entering the market and attacking the low end or the low margin consumers that 
incumbent doesn't want, they'll say, okay, you take that. But with Amazon's partnership with PillPack, it's interesting in that they are attacking CVS's best customers. CVS has even said they have Minute Clinic because it drives pharmacy spend and retail spend in their stores. And the threat that Amazon and PillPack creates to their pharmacy business, they respond with CarePass. So delivering meds to people in the Boston area, that's just where they're starting it. But they're doing it at half the price of Amazon Prime. So that's an, yeah. a corollary to their disruptive I, efforts. And, and it'll be interesting to see if they can win there. And you, you know where this discussion takes my head is it's very interesting to think about CVS Health now with the Aetna merger and how many places they are in the industry and the value chain where they are the disruptor. And again, disruption is always relative to the industry, the incumbents you're looking at. So to the incumbent healthcare system, you have Minute Clinic. But on the other end, they have a massive PBM service, which Amazon will likely seek to disrupt in some way, as well as their uh, pharmacy business. But now they also have a traditional healthcare plan, Aetna, an organization that's seeking to disrupt itself. We talked about them in episode three, I think. So it's just really interesting to look at that organization. Maybe they need to listen to the episodes because they <laughs> they need to understand this is the disruptor and the disruptee all at the same time. You know, one thing that's interesting, too, about that is that, uh, again, looking at life from a traditional incumbent's view, you know, we see the bread and butter really being hospital-based care because that's where the ultimate and the largest amount of dollar flow goes. But yet, really, I think the next frontier in healthcare is going to be more and more the home that democratizes disruption because a lot of people can get into the home without having to create a large infrastructure necessarily, right? You don't have to go create this bricks and mortar, but how do we help people in their home? And again, I think that's part of managing the data on the cases, which the insurance companies can help with, but I think it gives somebody like CVS a good opportunity too because they can connect to the patient in a way that really kind of cuts out the incumbent. I used to think a home was the low end. Now it may be the high end. Maybe it's both. I don't know, but it's just interesting how I think the the linearity of disruption is going to be a little different in healthcare than it might be in other industries. It's interesting as I've been listening to your comments, I've been thinking about where these uh, upstart competitors are attacking sort of the weaknesses in the wall that they're testing. So you have a group that are seeking to disrupt around care provision. But then, as you mentioned, Will, you have these other groups, you have Google and Amazon and others who are kind of attacking the information asymmetry in the healthcare industry, which I think is a, a different approach and, and playing where few others are playing. I mean, you have the EMRs, those are big companies uh, and we've actually seen research from Christensen Institute and others talking about EHRs and their potential for being disrupted. But it's interesting that that's where Google is playing, not so much in the care provision, but in the that information asymmetry and, and the connection points between systems talking to each other. It sounds like such a simple question. Is, is healthcare being disrupted? Okay, well, what is healthcare? What part of healthcare? Yeah. There's so many frontiers. It's there's a lot of nuance to that question. I think the other thing, too, is that large companies like Google have a two-prong um, incentive to look at changing healthcare, whether you call it disruption or in any other format. Because, one, they are a employer of a lot of people who spends a lot of money on healthcare. And, you know, as more and more if margins become tighter, 
in any industry, um, although relative to other industries, are still not tight for them. What you want to do is start cutting your cost. And when one of your biggest cost drivers is healthcare, you start to look to say, is there a better way I can provide health for my employees? And then secondly, they're looking at it and saying, you know, this is a multi-trillion dollar industry. Let's go get some of that. And you know, I've been in the industry long enough to have remembered the, the first wave of managed care in the 90s and the BBA of 97. What's so different now is the information we have available to manage patients. And these companies like Google are saying, well, let's not just look in the rearview mirror, right? Let's look in the windshield. It's a lot bigger than the rearview mirror. And let's be predictive in our in our data collection and our analytics. And so I know we've talked about that in some previous episodes as well, but I think that's the frontier that they're going to really push us into is how do we use this data to make a lot of the current healthcare infrastructure irrelevant? It's not even that they're just coming in with a different business model. They're coming in to make this extinct. That is very difficult then to try to combat in the ways that we currently know how. Yeah. Um, now, as a consumer, I'm saying bring it on. <laughs> But as an incumbent healthcare system, I'm saying, whoa, we, we need to figure out how to either work with or adapt their thinking. Yeah. So why do we care about whether a company is truly disruptive or not by the definition? Why is that important? Ann Summers, what do you think? I think it matters and it doesn't. One of the reasons it matters is it gives us a mental construct or a schema for what we do strategically and how we respond as an organization or how we're proactive in terms of what we put on the market. So I would say, for some reasons, it matters. For others, it might not. Because just because a company isn't disruptive doesn't mean we shouldn't care about it. And companies that aren't disruptive may still require a strategic response from us as the incumbent. So it matters because it's a mental schema or a construct to inform our strategy. But at the same time, it's not the end-all be-all for how we should strategize as an organization. I think that's a good way to look at it. I do think one reason it matters is it is a theory that has been proven to have predictive value. And what it predicts is based on the type of innovation it is, disruptive, efficiency, or sustaining, it has predictive value to really – who ends up winning and what the reaction of the industry is. Tesla would be an example of this. Uh, there's a lot of debate. You know, people – everyone probably always calls Tesla disruptive. Well, when you look at the definition, it didn't come in at the low end at all. The Roadster was well over $100,000. It performs better than almost any other sports car on the road. It, it does not meet that definition. It's more of a sustaining innovation. So – the theory would predict that the incumbent industry will ultimately win out. That doesn't mean Tesla will never be successful. It might mean they get acquired by incumbents. And there's anomalies to every theory. In fact, I think Clay seeks anomalies for his theory. I, I follow Tesla. I'd like to think they are an anomaly. I think there's so much in the persona the of gravitas. Elon Musk. Yeah. There's something Apple-like about it. There's something in the user experience that creates this anomaly. So that might not be a great example. But again, it's kind of the predictive nature of the theory that I think makes it important. Agreed. I think that's why – as somebody who's trying to evolve a healthcare system, I like seeing what others are doing 
to, to try to learn and glean from it and say, okay, we have some distinctive competencies that the incumbents will probably already always have more so than others, right? Our higher-end services, I don't see anybody coming to take away our trauma centers. I don't see anybody coming even away to take away a lot of our emergency departments with a different business model. These are things that we will continue to provide, and the key is how do we make those successful and continue to have that high level of service while we're still trying to understand how to manage the market and the population of the market, right? And that's where we're learning uh, a lot of ideas from these different disruptors, how to better engage with people, behavioral economics, these things that, again, in 20-some in years of my career, I've rarely heard of, if at all, are really coming to the forefront and, and are being discussed a lot more um, in today's world. And of course, Everything around data and data analytics on the patient is just a whole frontier that's being explored. I know we're using the frontier word a lot today, but I think there's a reason for it. It's exciting and scary. One last thought I have about why it's important is, again, how the healthcare industry reacts. If it's a sustaining or efficiency innovation, and a lot of these tech companies are bringing things that may be called disruptive but are truly sustaining innovations. For example, AI might be used in a sustaining or efficiency way. So we'd build that into our core business. Now, if there are things that are truly disruptive, the primary care innovations we've discussed, I just talked about AI. Let's say we build AI into primary care. Those would be things where if we're going to succeed, we have to carve out a different business unit. It has to be very autonomous. We can't do that out of the core. That's why the theory is important to understand how you react as an organization. Very helpful. So here's a question. I think this might generate some interesting back and forth. Do we really want healthcare to be disrupted? Do patients, do doctors, does our government, is that what we really want? Jay, why don't, why don't you start? Oh, great, great question. I, I always like to start with the definition of words. And when you look up the definition of the word disruption, and Clay has always talked about sometimes regretting the word disruption for how it's been used, but the real definition can be to break apart to throw into disorder or disturbance or problems that interrupt <laughs> an event, activity, or process. So I would say we may want healthcare to truly be better. We want that as consumers and we want that for society. We don't want it to be 18% of GDP uh, as, as taxpayers. But at the same time, I don't know that I'm totally comfortable breaking it apart. We've talked about the pathway of disruption. When disruption occurs truly, Things usually die or are severely wounded at the end, like a blockbuster. I mean, Netflix truly disrupted blockbuster. I know there's one store out there somewhere in the Northwest, but they're gone. And the question is, is that what we're seeking for the healthcare industry? Or are we seeking a different kind of path and process? And I think I would ask, based on your comment around definitions and the definition of disruption, how are we defining healthcare? What is healthcare for the sake of this argument? Just to that end, I think that's where I personally want to see the disruption. I want to move the discussion away from healthcare to health. And I think if there's any, you know, if I had my magic wand and we're able to, to wave it around, you know, in our department, we often give people magic wands and say, if you had this, what would you do so that we can think about the possibility of what could be? I would move to health and away from health care. That would be entirely disruptive to everybody involved. But when you talk to people about why did they get into the industry and you talk to most disruptors and, and are just new startups about why they're doing this, 
It's to help improve people's health. Because as we've talked about with jobs to be done, that's what people want. They want to get on with their life. They want to achieve this, you know, unicorn state of health, whatever that might be for them. It's defined differently, but it's all a means to an end. And I would much rather have the discussions around that so that we're all incentivized the same way. So personally, I like seeing the disruption in the regard that it changes the nature of the conversation. Didn't answer your question. No, and and that's okay. And I think part of the problem is everybody defines it a little bit differently. But if I think about what Jay said, that disruption means to break apart. And we traditionally in healthcare spell healthcare as one word. But to your point, Will, I would love to break that apart because it should be a lot less about the care that I'm getting and a lot more about my health as a consumer and what that health allows me to do and how it allows me to live. And I probably came at that again. It's hard for me to not come at the question as an incumbent healthcare system. I've worked in one for 20 years, so I'm thinking about the integrated healthcare system. But that's not the only part of the health industry. There are health plans. There are, we talked about CVS, there are PBMs, there are pharmaceutical companies. So device manufacturers. The value chain of healthcare is extremely complex. So people could probably go on endless debates. There there may very well be parts of that value chain we would like truly disrupted or broken apart. I think I I came out from the standpoint of if you are truly seeking to uh, disrupt, say, the healthcare system, uh, you probably don't want to show up at your ED one day and it not be there. Um, or, Or some of the the basic things that we can do all the population health we want in the world and we'll, we'll bring down inpatient use rates. But at least for many years, there will be people who need care for, for a lot of things. We, we will want that there as, as infrastructure for our community. So that's why I just get – I get defensive about the word yeah. disruption being thrown around for health care and you see articles, well, we want to close all the hospitals. I'm like – I don't think you really do. Well, there's a recent article about, in the American Hospital Association that I think kind of gets to that. And it was written by a very, very accomplished and brilliant healthcare leader, our CEO. And uh states that, you know, Gene health, Woods. Exactly. Gene Woods. Thank you. Healthcare innovation. Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I think that's getting exactly what you're talking about, Jay. There's a lot of good aspects of healthcare that are important to health. And how can we take those Parts that aren't. And where the article really gets into is around convenience, especially, right? And again, when you think about why, where does disruption come in, it's how to make things easier or cheaper, right? And I think that's kind of what the article is alluding to. So don't necessarily throw away everything we've got. Use what's really good about it. But learn from others and enhance the aspects that aren't as good, especially around the convenience. So I think you're right, Jay. I think there's a lot of people who are looking that way to say don't disrupt and destroy. Disrupt and improve. Yeah, and I think that's a really important delineation, the difference between disrupt and destroy and disrupt to improve. And Jay, you posed the question, do people really want the hospital to be disrupted? And I would say yes. As someone who went into the health and wellness field because I cared about health, not about health care. And admittedly, I was one of those people in grad school that said, oh, I'll never work for a healthcare system. They just deal with sick people. And I wanted to have a job that made people healthier. So yes, I want somebody to disrupt traditional health systems and hospitals so that they disrupt to improve, not disrupt to destroy. 
And you also talked about the value chain in healthcare. And I would say the real opportunity we have is to disrupt the value chain, which is an interesting word, in the places where it's not actually creating value for the end user. So where are those opportunities in the value chain for us or for the startups and disruptors to do that, to disrupt the incumbent value chain, to really create more value for the end users? And I think, you know, we talked a lot about Amazon, JP, Berkshire. Um, I think it was in episode 12. I keep referring back to all these episodes. It's just like one big marketing ploy. Uh, <laughs> but I think where they attack first may be instructive. Probably don't want to take up all the podcast time today to get into those aspects of, of the industry. Um, you know, they'll probably look at some of those middle portions of the value chain that they may perceive as having less value or that they have capabilities of of disrupting or replacing in some way. Yeah, I think particularly Google is an interesting case with their recent hire of uh, David Feinberg out of Geisinger. And before that, he was at UCLA Health. And at UCLA, he, he made a lot of progress around the patient experience and by, you know, a, a very singular focus on that effort. And Geisinger, he really got into the population health. So this is a guy who has not only shown success, but really understands sort of where we need to be heading to create that health company with that convenience and that customer engagement and user engagement versus being a health care company. And so with the different tools and toys and focus that Google brings to this, especially around the data and analytics I can't wait to see what these guys are going to come up with. You know, I just feel like they've got a really smart mind who understands this industry, who's got a new toolbox or toy box to play with to create change. And I personally am, am scared and excited to see what what ha- comes out of that uh, that new marriage. I think what I'm hearing is not, it's not about disrupting to destroy. It's disrupt to improve. But I think we've also been mentioning the time horizon is important. We don't want it to occur overnight, uh, but to have a an opportunity for that value chain to be evolved so that it really maximizes the value to the end user. Let's do some crystal balling here. How might disruption play out in the healthcare industry? Let's say the time horizon is just the next several years, maybe three to five. To me, I think a lot of healthcare is going to become more personalized. It's going to become more personalized not only in treatments from the care side of it, but also in preventive work. I think with the data analytics that we'll have available, it'll become more clear as to what in my background and in my lifestyle is more likely to lead to a health problem um, than, say, an Ann Summers, so that it's not a one-size-fits-all. 50-year-old male is going to be a little bit different than a much younger female. I think that that's going to be one of the keys to disruption is just getting to understand the individual and their health situation versus a one-size-fits-most. Yeah, uh, to build off of that, I think we're going to see a lot more predictive, personalized, and precise health and care. And we're increasingly seeing that with, I mean, if you even just look at what the FDA just approved for 23andMe to be able to do at the end of October with their pharmacogenomic testing, that is the next step in direct-to-consumer precision for what works for you, Ben Tingy, versus what works for me. And we're going to see more and more of that over the next several years. I think that for healthcare to be truly disruptive and we, when we 
we'll see that it's really playing out, at least with Clay's theory, is when it's truly at the bottom of the market. Folks who have very little access to healthcare, who are not necessarily the high margin customers of the industry. And when I say the industry, I mean the, the value chain overall, who may not be insured at all, people with issues with social determinants of health care. I think we're starting to see things like that. You, when you were talking about Google on the data side, you know, they also have a venture called City Block Health. It's in Brooklyn. I think they're doing some things in Canada. They're uh, really getting at the social determinants of health. It's still early for them. Can't really quite tell what their business model is. But depending on where we go with regulations and, and national health care policy, where it becomes more attractive for some of these high-tech entrants to not only serve the, quote, best customers in healthcare better, well, how about serving the ones that aren't necessarily being served at all? I think that's a little bit of what Gene was talking about in his article. So I think we're seeing some aspects of that. I mean, David Feinberg going going to Google, you know, what's Geisinger doing? They're setting up food pharmacies. They're starting to do things like that. And I, I don't see this flight of the, exec, the healthcare executives to some of these companies as necessarily a bad thing. It's like, hey, having someone like David Feinberg on that quote, other side of the business, it helps provide perspective on their side and maybe partnership opportunities for for the incumbent healthcare system. Again, that may not be where we're seeing it now, but I think things will truly be disruptive and disruptive innovation play out when we're doing that at the, quote, bottom of the market. Yeah, and that makes me also think about the front door of healthcare. And we've talked on prior podcasts about the disruptive nature of many of the startups in the primary care and on-demand care space. And not only are we seeing increasingly more players that are attacking incumbent primary care models, but they're increasingly well capitalized. They're getting more funding faster. And then the last component of that that is increasingly interesting and where we move into a bit of the crystal balling is a lot of these companies have been capitalized by PE and VC firms over the past three to five years. And VC firms are going to want their money back. And when they want their money back, they're going to be looking to sell these organizations to someone else. And in an era of perhaps unusual partnerships like CVS, Aetna, who is going to buy these alternative, disruptive, primary and on-demand care players? I believe it's going to be the payers. And if you look at how even in their last infusion round, Iora Health got $100 million. One of their investors in that round was Humana. That trend, I think we're going to see more and more of moving forward. And I think the one other trend that um, I'm excited about and we'll, we will continue to see more of is just moving more care to the home. And part of it's through things that we've talked about, like uh, being better connected. There's a lot of devices that we've talked about in the past. And I think this is going to get to some of what Jay was even mentioning is that when you get into the lower end of the market, a lot of folks truly are just trying to get by day to day. And healthcare typically requires you to go to a healthcare space. But with remote monitoring, with things like blood pressure and weight 
and you know it could be peak flow meters and asthma. A lot more of that can be pushed to the home. And not only can it be pushed to the home where it's more convenient, but then that gives you more data because it's easy to step on the scale every day. It's not easy to go to the doctor every day. And so we're going to start moving more of this care into the home where it will be used more and it'll be more democratized. And uh, I think that that will start to develop more data. We won't necessarily know what to do with it all yet. And I think that's going to be some of the evolution. But I think over the next five years, we're going to see a lot more work moving to the home. I also think that there's a lot of medical cases that are in hospitals now that can probably be monitored remotely with home health visits, right? It's a whole lot cheaper to do that at someone's house than it is to do that in a hospital. So I just think we're going to start seeing a lot more of that type of uh, transition to the home setting. And I'm excited about that because there's a lot that can be done there. And uh, you look at folks like Intermountain Health are starting to figure out, well, within our work in social determinants of health, how do we help people who are marginalized have steady housing? And then if they do, how can we monitor them and engage them through that home? There's some good examples of where people are already starting to understand these aren't just disparate pieces, but there's a linkage that needs to occur here. And uh, that's exciting to see. To go back to your question, how might disruption play out? Or I'd say how I'd like it to play out is where we take these different things that we've been talking about. And it's less about who's being disrupted or destroyed. And these different components working together, as you said, maybe in some unusual partnerships where it does truly create better health care. There's going to be winners and losers but there's really too much at stake societally to to lose too much in that that process. And uh, I guess I'm trying to take the optimistic, <laughs> uh, maybe naive point of view that this this will all work out well in the end for everybody. It probably won't work out for everybody. But there's there's so much talent in all of these different sectors. And when you when you hear about folks like David Feinberg going to Google and people going to Amazon, I don't know. I think that's kind of exciting. I think it shuffles the deck and it will create better innovation. I think, yeah, my concern there is that it's going to create a different business model than what the incumbent healthcare systems have now. And so at what point, you know, they're not going to be able to plug and play with each other right away. I think there will be some good partnership opportunities. There's going to be some Armageddon for some folks in the interim, and I think it's going to be some of the incumbent healthcare systems. So the key I have, question I have is, what will it take to survive that intermediate period? So when we come on the end of it, then the disruptors and their business model will be the predominant one, not the current um, providers, right? And again, that's value-based care is kind of where we're getting at. How do we make that transition period? I know what it looks like now. I know what it looks like then. Both of those look pretty good. But man, there's some ugliness in between there. And I don't know how people are going to get through that transition and what's going to define winners and losers. Hopefully we're on the winner side, but, you know, what will define winners and losers um, at that point? That's, that scares me. And in time, thinking of a quote I've heard, which is in times of transformation, we often have to get worse to get better. Yes. And in that in between, we may get worse before we get better. We as the incumbents and we as an industry as a whole. But... My optimistic perspective is that through the disruption that we're seeing now and we will continue to see in the future, we will see disruption to improve. And like you said, Jay, not everyone will win. But throughout the transition, I hope all of us, incumbents and disruptors alike, will remember that it's about improving health for our consumers. And it probably won't be through today's business model, and that's okay. But we all need to remember why we come to work each day, to improve 
health for all of those that we serve. Well, that's an excellent way to end. Thank you so much. And Summers, Will, Jay, thank you for your perspectives today on disruptive innovation. This Thanks, was terrific. Ben. Thanks a lot, Ben. A lot of fun. Thanks, Ben. This is Ben Tingey. Thanks for listening. You didn't think I was what? Czechoslovakian. Czech, Czech. Oh. This is how it's going to go, isn't it? I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) This is is how it always goes. That's right.